0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode 485 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, November 10th, 2017, and today we welcome Joe Nagin, Home Building Technology Services of Kokona, Wisconsin. And we're um, looking forward to a great show on building science. Had a chance to talk with Joe, and uh, looking forward to talking a little bit about building science, energy, efficiency, and indoor air quality. But before we do, let's thank our marquee sponsors.
0: IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J O N D O N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers, feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com, count on us.
1: Okay, please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, we do have continuing education credits available for those of you that need recertification for the ACAC or ABIH or any number of groups will accept the IAQ Radio continuing ed credits. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out a quiz. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to Zlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm sorry to report no one Identified Puerto Rico is that island's, is the name of that island's first capital. The IQ radio question for today, Friday, November 10th, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company
0: creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question Why is today November
2: 10, 2017, important in U.S. military history. Before I go, I'd like everyone tomorrow is Veterans
1: Day, and I'd like everyone to just
0: do something nice for a veteran.
1: Back to you, Joe. Sounds good, Cliff. Thank you. Okay, today's guest is Joe Nagin of Home Building Technology Services. He's up in Wisconsin, and since 1985, he's been involved in residential building science research research, both in the United States and Canada. He's also been very active in statewide conservation efforts in Wisconsin. He worked with the Wisconsin Energy Conservation Corporation of Madison, helped to co-author a nationally recognized Wisconsin Energy Star Homes program, where he served as the technical director. Uh, More recently, he's been working on the statewide focus on energy program, which is a, a newer program started in 2011, Currently in effect, they have now certified over twenty-five thousand new homes collectively. All right, Joe, do we have you on the line? Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. How did how did you get started back in the mid '80s? What what got you interested in building science? Did you start out as a builder, or uh, have you always done like consulting?
2: Well, that's the magic question, Joe. For years, I was heavy into. Uh automobiles, car racing, engine, building, things of that nature. So I always had a pretty good mechanical background and always wanted to know how things worked. And in 1984, I built a small little house out near my uh, shop in uh, local Wisconsin, Kukana, Wisconsin. and of course all my friends were builders uh, and they would give me all this good advice about how to do this and how to do that. And we did most of the work ourselves other than the mechanicals. And then after living in that thing for about a year, I was very unhappy with it. I wasn't comfortable. The utility bills weren't anywhere what everyone told me they should be. And I was just unhappy, and I thought, okay, there's got to be a way of figuring this out. Uh, there, you know, we can figure out anything on a mechanical device. And I got poking around a little bit and asking some of my builder friends who gave me information and advice during construction and. They said, well, heck, that's like everybody does it. And I thought, that's just not a good enough answer. So uh, I dug in my heels and started looking around, and I went to talk to a window contractor friend of mine, actually a salesman, and I was sitting in his office waiting for him uh, to uh, get out of his meeting, and I was reading a Builder magazine. This was now in 1989. And uh, I saw an ad for the EBA organization and was reading about this upcoming conference they were going to have in Denver, Colorado. I never did stay and talk to my window friend. I tore the page out of that builder magazine, called the 800 number, uh, got a hold of Howard Faulkner at the University of Gorham, Maine. Uh, He was head of the EBA organization at that time asking if I could come out there as a homeowner and figure out how houses work. And in 1990, that's when I really dug in and uh, attended my first conference. So it was my own bad luck, if you will, that got me where I am today.
1: Huh. And EBA's E E B A, the Energy and Environmental Builders Association, I believe, is what that acronym stands for?
2: Yeah, I think that they might have tweaked that a little bit now. I think it's called Energy and Efficiency Building Alliance or something like that. But basically the same organization in terms of uh, their goals, yes.
1: I used to see a lot about them in the you know the earlier days when I started really diving into the indoor air quality in more, uh, in more depth. Um, are they still very active? Do you still co- uh, communicate with that group?
2: Well, they they still are up and running. Over the years, um, it started as a real sort of what I would consider a hardcore group uh, of actual hands-on builders when that organization was first started, I believe, in the early 80s, and it kind of morphed over time, and uh, it went through some reorganizational issues and challenges just like other organizations. It used to be a member organization. It's no longer that but uh they're still around and um they still have that same goal of dealing with building performance and all the other uh associated uh issues uh, with new home construction. Yes.
1: So what what did you learn? What what mistakes did you make and and you know, what mistakes do you know, I always love these stories when people tell them. We've been building that way for 40 years. I never had a complaint. You know, um, I, I get that all the yeah. time up here. Um, what what sure. did you do wrong?
2: Well, it was interesting. Um, I, I thought that I can picture it now, you know, looking back at, you know, I did all the framing myself with a couple of friends. We did all the insulating, wiring, everything. And what I didn't know at that time, you know, as an outsider, was the substantial importance on air sealing of building. At that time, everybody just said, hey, make sure you put in that magic vapor retarder thing, you know. So we did the magic plastic and everything, but didn't have any idea on the implication of the air tightness potential value of that, which is certainly something I hammer on people now. But other than that, uh, there were some things, even with the duct work, um, we had a couple of different contractors bidding on it. One of them wanted to stick to stuff in the attic. The other guy wanted to do it interior. Uh, but there was just, what I, what I really found interesting is that if you step, if I could step forward 10 years after that, when I first started looking around, now I know conclusively that you can reliably calculate, project, estimate and plan a building project from the ground up to get the results you're looking for if you're willing to spend the time to do that. And that was a major learning curve, and uh, I, that's what I use in my teachings and my trainings now.
1: So was your, did your home have a basement?
2: Um, yeah, well, this was actually a, a building over a tuck-under garage, Uh, which made it a little bit more interesting. I I actually decided to use the floor as the thermal separation between the garage below and the living area above. Uh And it had some cantilevers, which were really brutal. Again, I didn't understand the massive importance of air sealing. And out here in the country where I don't have any buildings within a mile on either side, I get some substantial winds in winter and it would blow that air up through the soffit panels and go halfway through the floor system upstairs. It was, it was really critical.
1: Hmm. Are you still in that home, or did you move out? Oh, you
2: bet. Oh, oh, no, 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 you bet, because that's what motivates me every day to get out and help other people. That thing still doesn't work very well. <laughs> I refuse to fix it for the most part, so I stay motivated. Now, the only thing I did fix, to be fair, was I did actually open up the overhang soffits. I saw an overhang on both sides of the building. I did open them up, and it was amazing. I expected the fiberglass bats to be literally blown out of position, capping off the end of the insulated floor, you know, that's directly under the living space above. Mm-hmm. Those fiberglass bats were still right in place where they were. However, when I fixed that maybe six, seven years ago, I now knew that that was not anywhere near good enough. What I needed was a really thorough air barrier, so I cut some uh, half-inch foil-faced foam and fit it up in between the trusses and foamed it in on both sides of the building. And it was like overnight. You could tell the difference. I used to get in the bathtub upstairs that was like maybe 12 feet in from the outside, and that tub was honking cold. (laughs) And as soon as I got done putting that foam with that, integral air barrier concept, that bathtub was just amazingly warmer. I mean, like right honking now. So it was neat to take some of the things that were definitely wrong with that building and start working on a few of them, uh, only to have a little bit more confidence in my teachings and our promotions on our program stuff as well. So it was good.
1: So let's tell listeners a little more about you know what you do now. I know you've you've been involved with these programs in Wisconsin, but I, I assume is that as a subcontractor. Your your main business is the home building technology services.
2: Uh, that's right, Joe. Um, I'm still a private, independent, single person, uh, one man business. I'm self employed, but when the public benefits legislation went through. Uh, in 1998 in Wisconsin, where everybody thought that that was going to come through from California. um, The state looked at um, changing over the responsibility of utility programs delivering conservation efforts. They wanted to convert that to the private industry to relieve the utility companies from that responsibility. So I was already up and running with my consulting business, New Home Design Consulting and Performance Evaluation. So I was contacted by Wisconsin Energy Conservation Corporation in Madison, a very large, nationally known, reputable organization doing conservation work. They asked me if I would help them uh, design a new home program so that they could bid to try and get that new home program at the start of the public benefits process here in 1999. So I helped them with that. We were successful in getting that. And then um, after they won the contract for that, um, the manager down there called me one day and said, hey, we got the contract for the new homes program. You want to help us implement that? So I partnered with them at that point. I'm still self-employed. I contract to them. So I've been serving as technical director for that program since 1999, since it was started. And... When we first started that, uh, we did it as a pilot project just in 23 counties for one utility company to see if we could actually pull it off, see if a private organization could actually pull off a new homes program. So we ran that for about two years, and then it was very, very successful. And then the, the State Public Service Commission told us then to take it uh, statewide. So. So I've been very fortunate. I still have my consulting business, I do a lot of private work, uh, but then probably seventy seventy five percent of my time uh, is in support of our new home program.
1: Is Wisconsin uh, a little unique in that perspective? I mean, I know you know I know many states have programs uh, you know similar to that, but it sounds like Wisconsin's been pretty successful.
2: Well. That is correct, Joe, and I always like to take the time to give credit for why and how that got started, because way back in the 90s, even mid-80s, actually, Wisconsin Public Service, a utility company right here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, they used to do a program every year for conservation, and they called it... uh, Energy Upgrade, Energy Update, just like Ned Nissen had his Energy Update Design Magazine, you know, that little publication mm-hmm. from Connecticut. Well, then, anyway, for years and years and years, they would hire Oliver Drurup to come down from Canada, one of the big guys that originally started the whole R2000 Better Build Home program in Canada. Uh-huh. They hired Oliver to come down and do the building science training. And then they partnered with Ned Nissen from Energy Design Update Magazine. And those two did a road show here, Joe. Seven different locations every year. It was standing room only. You couldn't get near the building if you didn't register the same year for the next year's training. Hmm. It was spectacular. So way back in the early to mid-80s, we had top-notch building science information from the get-go, from the horse's mouth, if you will. So we really had an upper hand on things in terms of how buildings function. And I'm staring right now, I mean, literally right in front of me, I'm staring at all the Canadian Home Builder Association manuals. And of the millions of publications I have in my office, those books are still as valuable and as accurate today as they were when they were written in the mid-'80s. Nothing really changed about building science. So back to your question, what makes it a little bit interesting in Wisconsin is that there was a very, very good, I mean, reputable, well-established core training curriculum, if you will, put on by the utility companies with not just somebody in the backyard. This was people that had already sorted all this stuff out. So it was spectacular. So then fast forward on that, when, uh, when we took over with the public benefits new homes program, We had to try and follow that, which was a pretty good challenge. However, in between that time, I had been going to all of those workshops that were put on. I became very good personal friends with Oliver, Joe Stebrick, all of those guys. When I joined EBA in 1990, I was in that club big time, got to know everybody. Then I started going to the R2000 technical group meetings in Canada every year, went up there for like seven years in a row. And uh, so then we had all this information collected before the new homes program was actually started in Wisconsin. So when I worked with Weck in Madison and three other co-authors to put a new home program together, we weren't just a couple of guys out in the backyard thinking of things coming up with cornball stuff. We had the excellent basic background. Already that the Canadians and many others had already rung out, so it was it 's a great combination, and it still today is sort of a a struggle to try and improve on all of that background hmm.
1: and you the the program i think the first program it said certified over sixteen thousand homes in eleven yeah. years was yeah. that uh, how many homes are built a, a year in Wisconsin new homes do you know
2: um Boy, I, I, that's a good one, Joe. You got me on that. I'm, think, I'm thinking right around maybe fifteen to 18,000 okay. on average over the course of time. What I do know is that our program has historically had about 25% participation and sometimes higher than that on an annual basis. So whatever the, the actual new home construction starts were, we've been carrying about 25% plus. Of all the new homes built in Wisconsin, have been going through our program. I see. So we we're now on a we're now on our third upcoming revision to our new homes program. So it's seen a couple of cycles over time.
1: And it it, it looks like you started the the first one was kind of an Energy Star. Um, I guess it was based on the Energy Star program. And now you've gone to uh, statewide focus on energy new homes. And I'm I'm wondering. What's the difference? I mean, how how much has changed from the original ENERGY STAR program with the original program to now?
2: Well, that's another good question, Joe, and it's very easy to explain. What happened again in 1999 when we were putting together the first new homes program done outside of the utility companies with Now, I felt, okay, we don't need any building science help. We've got all of that. What we need now is something for marketing, for market acceptance. So at that time, of course, Sam Rashkin and a couple other folks were ramping up on the National Energy Star program that they started about 1995. Mm-hmm. So we contacted, we contacted David Lee and Sam Rashkin, told them what we were doing, wanted to partner with them. But then uh, we were already uh, up to speed on what their version 2 was at that particular time, you know, the requirements and everything. And uh, we told them that uh, those standards wouldn't be good enough here in Wisconsin uh, because we're already building way beyond that. And uh, so they came and met with us. And, um, of course, they told us that the National Home Builders Association didn't want more than one ENERGY STAR program. You know, they wanted one nationally. And we told them that we couldn't just adopt their version 2 at that time or we could go borrow one of the farmers' milk trucks and go down every subdivision and simply spray holy water on every building without (laughs) even getting out of the truck because we were way beyond that and uh, so at that time they worked with us and they were very good, very good partners they worked with us then to allow us to change the name so it was called the Wisconsin Energy Star Homes Program and then we put in our own requirements above and beyond what they started with on version two. I I mean, we had enough background and we knew enough about building science. So right out of the box, I mean, we started with an air tightness requirement for the buildings. We started with a whole house mechanical ventilation requirement. We started with closed combustion requirements. We started with sealed sump crock requirements. We started with spot ventilation, kitchen ventilation. All of the things that we knew were already wrung out by the building science community, why start at a disadvantage? So we started out right out of the box with a very good group of standards. And uh, the only one that we got beat up on early was the uh, B vent water heater issue. We refused to get involved with homes with anything that was natural draft combustion due to the fact that everyone had already figured out that tight homes are good, tighter's better, Ventilation is always good. Just don't suck on a chimney. So we got beat up at first, but after we, because we had a a combustion safety requirement right from day one, and we refused and never have certified any building that did not meet all our requirements. But once we got testing, Joe, it was really interesting because when you're talking about air, right, it's difficult. I mean, it's like talking about electricity. You either got to have it in your head that you understand it because you certainly can't see it. But once we started showing the builders how tight their homes were, and that even turning on a a typical vented range hood to the outside, how much it could depressurize a building, and then showed them that, and then showed them the federal depressurization limits for natural draft equipment, then it wasn't much of a problem after that. They finally got it because they could see it numerically on testing. So we started out really good out of the box. So. We were able to go from 1999 through 2010 as the Wisconsin Energy Star Homes program using the HERS 86 requirement that they had at that time when they were still going the other way, right, towards 100. And uh, But then when the version 3 came out around 2010, uh, the builders here pretty much had a riot, and uh, we had Sam uh, come in a couple of times to talk to our builder partners and uh, they just refused to pay the Raiders to do paperwork. It doesn't change the building. Uh, Some of the other requirements that they had, our building community just said that uh, that's unacceptable to them. So we couldn't come to an agreement on something in the middle, and they were pretty much determined it had to be V3 or nothing. Uh, Then we parted with ENERGY STAR in 2011, and started our own, which then went from a Wisconsin Energy Star Homes program to simply focus on energy, new home program. Didn't miss a beat, didn't miss a beat, didn't lose one builder. All the issues where people felt that Energy Star had such a compelling argument to participation that we would fall off the face of the earth if we lost that recognition. Not one builder left, not one builder at all. In fact, our participation has gone up ever since. Hmm. So that's
1: you, pretty interesting. I, I got several questions. I want to try and organize this a little bit. Let's let's start with um, the original program when you were still part of Energy Star Homes program. Sure. How how uh, you, you said about twenty five percent of the new homes um, were you know part of that program, the other 75%, they were just building your basic code home?
2: Yeah, um, but again, that, that is correct in a generic statement there, Joe. Okay. But what's interesting, again, is I want to I refer back to all that training that was done here by uh, the utility companies since the mid-'80s. So we often see this, right, in magazines. I'm just reading Martin Holliday's new book, Musings of an Energy Nerd, very good book. But it's interesting, right? It's often quoted that, you know, people that are only building to code are building the worst home that's legally possible. I find that personally offensive because (laughs) if it's done correctly, those buildings can haul the mail against other people that do all kinds of interesting additional things and then don't put things together correctly. So, yes, you're correct, the other 75%, are building to our state code. We are one of the few states in the country that actually has code enforcement, by the way. So our codes may be behind numerically in the national code cycle, but there is actually code inspection. And I'll tell you what, some of those homes are very, very well done, and we know that to be true. We just did a market characterization study here this calendar year.
1: So how... How do you get the consumers in Wisconsin to recognize, you know, that um, the homes that are part of the program are built in a way that is going to be a little more energy efficient and uh, probably more, you know, they're going to last a little longer, et cetera? How do you do that?
2: Well, that's always been a challenge, Joe, and I think uh, any other program implementer around the country, regardless of what their program is, has the same challenge and it makes it even more difficult to do that marketing pitch if your baseline homes are already pretty good and if they're not coming apart or terrible, like most magazine publications would indicate that they are. Mm-hmm. But back to your question, we still used a lot of the the uh, uh, sort of the promotional material that uh, we partnered with Energy Star at first, you know, having a consultant. Uh, slash ResNet Raider. Here we call them consultants instead of using the word Raider. So we still market that, hey, if you want to know numerically if something would be a good idea on your particular building. Such, you know, Say you want to add R5 to a house you're going to build anyway. If you want to know exactly, given our fuel cost, our building practices, what that would do on your unique home for you, the homeowner, we can model all that because every one of our program homes, 100% of them, since day one, have always been modeled using the RemRate rate new home software. They've always had site visits during testing. I mean, site visits during construction to verify that things were done with a report to the builder during construction, and we've always tested every building. So over time, we've built a pretty good credit, credibility base that, that most of the home builders now that know what the program does, and if we get a few minutes of time with a homeowner, we can show them the advantages of building a home through the program, and in many cases, in addition to some of the uh, requirements that we have that are not part of the code, we can show them that, hey, you may actually be able to build that home more cost-effectively than what you were going to do just by grabbing stuff off the shelves or looking on the Internet and then telling your builder you want this, you want that, you want that. Nobody models things for performance outside of our program, but we do on every home. But it's still a challenge, yeah. Hmm. And then, of course, the our, our statewide effort has some incentives available, too, for homes that are certified, so it does offer a little bit of financial reward at the end.
1: Okay, so you get a little bit of an incentive there. And what yeah. about with with the new uh, program? Uh, how are you marketing that new program, the Focus on Energy New Homes? Is that something the utilities are helping with or uh, the state? Yeah.
2: Oh, well, actually, Joe, that's a good one, too, because the tagline uh, for Focus on Energy is partnering with Wisconsin Utilities, because we are a partner with the utilities, but we are delivering the services, you know, privately. But the marketing is still pretty much the same. Um, we have online marketing. We have publications, brochures, and so forth. We do home shows, and then uh, most of it's pretty, pretty small in terms of the marketing effort, Uh, luckily since we've been around this year now for 15 years, over, over 15 years, we've got a core group of followings in the building community. The other thing that happens, Joe, is that because we do so much training and very good training, if I might say, uh, that building trades people might be an insulator, framing contractor, HVAC contractor, electrical guy, plumbing guy, shows up to one of our trainings, and then gets a little taste of what we're all about in terms of the program, who we are, our background, our credibility, the actual things that we represent, they find a kind of work as sort of our, our background uh, marketing core. As they pitch their products and services to consumers and builders, we're hoping if they've had a good experience working with us on one of our projects that they'll also pitch the program. And I would say a lot of our referrals come from that word of mouth.
1: And I'm, I'm, before we go to halftime, we're going to go to halftime here in just a moment, but before we do, I live in um, rural Pennsylvania here, and I'm, I'm served by a Rural Electric Cooperative, and I, I know a lot of Wisconsin is rural as well. Have the Rural Electric Cooperatives been working with your program as much as the, the big guys in the cities?
2: Well, uh, that's another great one, Joe. Early on, um some of the rural co ops, as I understand them here, you know, that only have electricity as a product, right? Right. Most of the other major players have gas, natural gas, and electricity. But early on, that probably that first 10 years when we were doing Energy Star, there were several uh, rural co ops that felt that uh, we didn't have enough to offer them because we tended to lean uh, towards natural gas and so forth, and that. When we modeled homes, obviously, using electric uh, heating, uh, so forth, like, like they would offer, uh, they sometimes didn't pan out so well in modeling. So there was a little bit of a disconnect there at first. But once the issue went to where now everything is under the focus on energy umbrella, we had a lot more of them, uh, Joe, that actually came across. We got a chance to work with them a little bit closer. So our, our relationship with them has been much, much better now since we're under the focus on energy umbrella.
1: Gotcha. Well, Joe, thank you. Uh, We're going to be back. We have to stop and thank our sponsors here at halftime. On the second half of the interview, I want to talk a little more specifically about the types of requirements you have for the program. You know, uh, are ductwork allowed to go through attics? Can you put a mechanical system in an attic? Uh, What about exterior insulation? So we'll get into a lot more of that after halftime. We'll be back with our guest Joe Nagin in about uh, 90 seconds.
0: IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them, wolfsense.com. IAQ Marquee Sponsors are... Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers, feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com, count on us.
1: Okay, we're back. We've got the second half of our interview today with Joe Nagin. It's been very interesting, Joe. What what I'd like to do now is get into some specifics, and um, let's start with the differences between, well, now let's start. Let me go all the way back to the first program. Right when the beginning of the show you mentioned within your home um, vapor barriers, and that was a big topic back in the, you know, early, late 90s, early 90s, um, back in the energy days. Are you able to use a um, plastic vapor barrier on interior walls and, and get away with it in that cold climate?
2: You mean on the, you mean on the inside of exterior walls, Joe?
1: Correct, yes.
2: Yeah. Um, yes, and a matter of fact, that's probably the de facto vapor retarder material used here in Wisconsin, but we are certainly having that ongoing dialogue reminding the builders, similar to what's happening at the national level related to cold climate building, that the plastic vapor retarder itself, if that's someone's choice, is probably not in your best interest due to summertime problems, and I've been chasing more summertime problems in wall cavities here than I'm ever chasing on wintertime cold weather problems that people thought that the vapor retarder was intended to prevent. So, yeah, they're using it, and I'll bet you 75 to 80% at least, Joe, are using plastic as their choice of vapor retarder material.
1: What does the program recommend now?
2: Well, this is interesting. See, we only have a limited number of requirements, but since you did use the word recommendation, what we're always trying to do is provide as accurate and reliable local information to our builder partners so that they can make better informed decisions. So even though they have to comply with the code, and we always encourage that, we still try to get them more into a conversation, Joe, in terms of why are you using that plastic sheet as your choice to meet the vapor retarder requirements here in Wisconsin? Because no one has ever required a a plastic sheet anywhere in the state of Wisconsin and in most national codes. The building code only requires that the air permeable insulation have a vapor retarder material having a perm rating of 1.0. That's it. Mm. But what happened when the craft-faced bats were very popular here and the dominant material back when we were doing two-by-four walls, when the thermal resistance on that craft face paper started all of a sudden the manufacturers changed the the labeling where they then required a thermal barrier covering builders stopped using the craft face bats uh, where they wanted to leave some walls exposed and then somebody grabbed the sheet of plastic and bang by default that became the dominant and it still is choice so we're trying to engage them in a conversation not to tell them that we don't you know, that we don't like them using the plastic. We're trying to get them to be more conversational, to get them thinking about it, and then explain to them what we know is actually happening. Because we're on the ground here in Wisconsin every day. Our consultants are out there every day, probably seven days a week, 365, looking at buildings and contrary to what people read in national publications buildings ain't exploding like they claim they are Hmm. and so we're trying to get people more joe to think about what they're doing to make better choices well what what choice would you make well i'm often asking the people that unless they had some personal building conviction that they needed to have or they would feel uncomfortable selling a new home i would be recommending good excellent air sealing procedures, which are easy enough to do, and I'd be using vapor retarder paint.
1: Vapor retarder paint?
2: Right. Because okay. it's always been an option here in the state of Wisconsin, and it is everywhere else.
1: So on the drywall, you, could do, or you, you paint your yeah, drywall? Yeah, okay.
2: you yeah, yeah, you could use vapor retarder primer or vapor retarder paint. Now, i got to give our code credit here, Joe, because in Wisconsin, that's always been allowed as an option. Which is why we continue to ask the building community, why are you putting that piece of plastic up there? That is not a vapor retarder. That's a vapor barrier beyond what the code requires for winter protection, and it's causing more problems on inward moisture drying in the winter, in the summer, even Mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, in the, in our building code, it just says that if you're going to use the vapor retarder paint as your choice to meet the vapor retarder requirements, you have to fill out a form, Joe, and then provide it to the building inspector at the time you go to get the permit. So when you call them to come and look at the job, they're not expecting to see a sheet of plastic.
1: Gotcha. All right, let's go to the next one. What about uh, mechanical systems in attics? What What's the recommendation on that?
2: Oh, okay. Well, uh, again, uh, Joe, if we look at our local building practices in Wisconsin, I don't have a number on this, but I would guesstimate quite reliably that the overwhelming majority of new homes here are basement homes, Okay. which means that the, that the furnace, the air handler is going to be in the basement, and the overwhelming majority of ductwork is going to be there in the basement in conditioned space, as we would call it. However... Some two-story homes that get a little big, uh, just due to the nature of being able to move air and be able to do that reliably, it's not uncommon that they may put a second air handler on the second floor in a closet, but the ductwork may then go up into the attic of that second floor. Um, we have bonus rooms over garages where they take a branch off of the uh, air handler in the basement, run it up through the garage rim, and it goes up in the floor system. Anytime that that's done, are, you know, the code obviously requires uh, air sealing on that duct work, and it requires duct testing in Wisconsin, as it does anywhere where you've got 2009 uh, code or newer. But we're always trying to engage them again. Is there some other way of doing it? And it's a, it's a struggle if you have to put some out there. But then if they're going to do it, let's just make sure it works. So let's make sure it is airtight and that we can bury that or build a chase even in the attic which is allowable here, and then make sure that it delivers the air at the temperature we need to satisfy the loads of the building.
1: Okay. Let's, let's go to um, those basements again, and let's talk a little bit about insulation in, in basements. How are you handling that? Is there, are you having uh, our builders put insulation under the slab? Um, are they using it on the exterior of the foundation walls? Oh.
2: Um. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Joe, what happens again uh, in Wisconsin... Is that uh, do you know whether they're just doing a a home to meet code? They still have to meet you know either res check formula or whatever. So in most cases, again, the overwhelming majority is going to use exterior extruded polystyrene foam insulation on the outside to whatever thickness and R value they need to meet code or the design goal for that building. So sometimes they'll have. Uh, you know, maybe some interior finished areas in the lower level that may then have some additional stick framing on the inside. Now back to the basement floors, in most cases, Joe, there's hardly any insulation used under a basement floor in Wisconsin. Now that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. We always talk about it in our new home program because if we get a house plan and even if it's a spec home and we see an egress window in the basement wall we know that that builder is setting that home up so the, the eventual owner may be able to put some living space down there. Mm-hmm. In that case, we know that there's going to be a floor covering, which means then that floor covering is going to probably lower the slab temperature from in, by insulating it with carpet on top. Then we're going to get into discussion about the use of foam under the slab for controlling surface temperature Because you could model that until you run out of software, you're not going to show much on energy savings versus the cost of foam, even if it's just one inch.
1: Okay. So you're looking at cold surfaces more so than Uh, energy savings. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because obviously we're concerned that if you throw carpeting on a floor, now you just insulated that concrete floor from the ambient air in the basement. And if the concrete is sitting on gravel, touching the soil below at 55 to 60 degrees, it's going to want to drift towards that temperature. So the water vapor in the basement air can freely go through the carpet fibers and touch the top of that slab, which now may be cool enough to cause it to sweat out, especially even if it just gets a little damp in the summer if they have basement windows open. So we're, we're always recommending it for comfort, Even if they're not going to insulate, you know, carpet the basement floor, it does help with radiant heat transfer from the floor above, which is uninsulated in Wisconsin homes. Because if we model it, Joe, I'll bet on average you wouldn't save 15 to 20 bucks a year on any energy modeling for energy savings with an inch of sheet foam. Hmm.
1: Okay, let's go to uh, another common topic of uh, discussion when we talk building science. I, I assume you have some crawl spaces in, uh, in Wisconsin, maybe not as many as we find in other parts of the country, but on occasion I would imagine you run into them. Uh, what are the requir- or the recommendations on crawl spaces?
2: Okay, uh, again you're correct. Uh, on new home construction, other than someone maybe doing an, a real nice module, Joe, out in the country, in a rural area, uh, we have a lot of good module manufacturers here. Uh, where a homeowner might be the general contractor, they may do a vented crawl space, but the typical builder uh, and the typical crawl space, if it's built in Wisconsin, would be an unvented, fully conditioned, short basement, is what it is. Okay. And let, no, yeah, let's because, talk. Because then we want to be able to put the air handler down there, see?
1: Yes, absolutely. All right. Let, let's talk ventilation. Um, you know, oh, there you go. that's that's a topic you know that obviously gets some some people's blood going, and um, you know we've got the ASHRAE standard 62.2, which you know I'm I'm still oh, yeah. you know not an expert on certainly, but why don't we just throw out the topic of ventilation and let you talk a little bit about how your program handles that topic?
2: Oh. Excellent. So I'm going to watch the clock so we don't get too far out of line here. But thank you for that question, Joel. Okay. What's really interesting, again, is that I want to set that up real quick, is that our program has had a partnership with the building community. And our agreement with them is we're going to do everything we can to help you stay ahead of the curve, which is an advantage to to participating. With that, we have always had a whole house ventilation requirement uh, in our program since 1999, uh, it was uh, just seven and a half CFM per person at that time. No building volume ventilation rate. But we always had that, and we always will continue. Now, what happened was, as we were watching things go by over the years, and we saw the first Astray 62-2 coming out, right, when they first started the 62-2 series, mm-hmm. we decided, hey, let's take a look and see what our current group of homes look like. Because we were out, you know, for like four years. So, we actually, at that, in 2002, we hired the Energy Center of Wisconsin, a real good uh, nationally recognized research organization now called Seventh Wave. Anyway, we hired them to look at a random sample of our program certified homes, of which they selected the homes. We didn't cherry pick anything. And they did the most spectacular, the only one I know of to date, where they actually evaluated what was happening in real buildings with real people, not some cornball test setup. So in the end, we wanted to know, the question we asked them to answer for us is if the 62.2 was adopted by the program, what would our buildings look like? And in the end, after he got done, Scott Pig got done doing all this modeling, the buildings all had enough capacity to meet the original 2003 version of 62.2 if we were to adopt it. So that was what we wanted to know. But what was really cool is he did tracer gas analysis and everything on these buildings to actually confirm what you cannot do by yourself, and that is what is the actual air exchange rate on any building. You cannot measure that with a board, or you can only measure that with tracer gas analysis. So he did a really elaborate report. It's all available free on the Internet. So we had a good heads-up at that point and what was really interesting in one of his concluding summaries, in because some of these homes had balanced HRVs, very few had ERVs, and I would say the majority of them had exhaust only. Nobody here by choice uses supply ventilation. But what was really neat is that even when you looked at all the carbon dioxide levels, and he had log data loggers on all the equipment so we could tell when any VAT fan ran, when the power vent water heater ran, we tested all of that stuff. So, even though they monitored carbon dioxide in the master bedroom like everybody likes to do, there was no problem there whatsoever. Hmm. His conclusion was that if these homes were actually operated to the 62-2 requirement in terms of actual 24-7 function, they would probably dry the crap out of them.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
2: And oh, yeah. I mean, that, that was done back in 2003. So, then when, when the ASHRAE 62 did come out, then we did adopt the original 622 as a standard and rather than we included you know the the 1 cfm per 100 square foot addition so and we still use it
1: and you still even in the in the program you recommend you you allow just exhaust only ventilation you're not are you urging people to go to balanced ventilation at all or
2: well uh, that's a good one joe and here's the history on that cuz we got a ton of history i mean a ton all right. Back when we started the program, we were, again, our partnership with the building community is to let them know what's out there. Mm-hmm. So we we pitched a lot of balanced ventilation at the time. We ran the models, did the whole nine yards. And several of the builders really thought that that balanced ventilation was a good idea, right? It was you know, sort of up and running back in the uh, early 2000s when we got going. Mm-hmm. Well, here's exactly what they found, Joe, and I'm staring at a 1973 1973 research report by the Canadian Home Mortgage Corporation that finds the exact, that found back then the same exact thing we find today is that when somebody starts out with a balanced ventilation system for all the right reasons, due to homeowner no maintenance, it will more than likely turn into an exhaust only system within six months anyway, because the intake screen on the outside plugs up and no one ever goes out there and looks at it. Hmm. So, the builders that were originally doing balanced ventilation in our program, and we had quite a few of them, and if you think about it, there's some big manufacturers here in Wisconsin. And now I'll bet, I'll bet we don't have 5% of our homes every year have balanced mechanical ventilation for that very reason, and since they weaned themselves away from it, they reduced all the callbacks associated with no maintenance, balanced uh, ventilation problems, And now they know that even though they're getting their homes tighter than they were back in 1999, they're still not experiencing any problems. And because the program, Joe, right out of the box in 1999, recognized all the good work that was done in Canada, Alaska, and everywhere else, that said... There's nothing wrong with running a building slightly negative if your choice is exhaust only, as long as, right, you're not sucking on a combustion device or sucking on the ground.
1: We had
2: from day one a combustion safety requirement to avoid running the building negative and sucking on a chimney, and we had a ground cover disconnect. So right now, 95% Ninety-five percent of our buildings run exhaust only, and we got new homes in our program that are running right down at passive house airtightness.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. And they, I... work
2: just, they work. Well, they work just fine.
1: Wow. And
2: are you? Well, I got to put this caveat in, and I'm watching the time. Please. Here's what we do know as well. People here do not run their ventilation twenty-four-seven. I can't find one person that does that.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. They're capable of it, so they meet the requirement. But nobody runs them full time. Well, let
1: me—we're we're running a little low, but let me let me yeah. um, throw out a couple quick ones here. What what do you see in the future of the program? I mean, are, are things going to get a little um, tighter? Or are you you're going to—I mean, you going to—well, just talk, what What kind of new requirements do you see possibly happening in the future, or recommendations?
2: Well, uh, timing is perfect on the question because right now, Joe, physically right now on the calendar, we are in process of implementing a new program for, well, new program requirements for the start of 2018. And now, as a result of the Public Service Commission again hiring this Energy Center, Seventh Wave Organization, to do a market characterization study of homes that were not in our program as a result of that we were required to go back to the drawing board and up the ante substantially so we are in the process of finalizing that with the folks at noresco or RemRate software people to get our because we have a special version of uh... REM rate software so the bar is going to be raised pretty good in two thousand eighteen so now some of the items that our builders somewhat didn't buy into or refuse to do before, mainly on building envelope features, they, if they want to continue to participate, are going to have to look at several of those next year or we will lose participation. However, we're confident that we've built enough credibility with the building community that they're going to work with us, but we're in the process of that right now.
1: Can you give us an example of one of those topics, issues that uh, builders yeah. are a little resistant uh-huh. on?
2: Okay, well, what, what happened, Joe, was this. We were always using our uniform dwelling code in Wisconsin for our program requirements. So if you wanted to get a home certified in the program, it had to be at least 15% better than the current code. So our software was set up so that it would build two homes, just like all other program software. As a result of the characterization study that was recently done and published, private, publicly published now, they found that as a result of our program for fifteen years we changed the entire building community in the state of wisconsin they gave us credit for market transformation Hmm. and unlike most states that would can a program when you reach market set market uh... uh... uh, what did they just say there market penetration penetration Um, oh yeah um... they said no we want this thing to continue because there's not much going on here with code so anyway what's going to happen next year is that to get to the reduction in energy uh, consumption to meet the new goals, some builders are probably going to have to look at things that they currently won't like. That may mean, uh, you know, substantial increases in foundation insulation, which would more than likely mean stick framing on the inside, in addition to the exterior foam they're currently doing. Most builders here will refuse to do exterior sheet foam. I mean, they will refuse to do it just for the inconvenience. And uh, they're they're building way beyond what the code requires anyway in terms of bare code requirements. But that may be a problem. I'm sure most of them aren't going to switch to, you know, complete spray foam and wall cavity. They might bump up the windows a little bit, but the bar, as a result of this baseline study, Joe, has now upped substantially so that to keep our program cost-effective, which is a requirement we have to get more savings from each of these homes to meet our program goals as the program implementer is WAC in Madison. So it'll be an interesting discussion. We've had Build-A-Round Table group meetings, and we'll be going out again uh, before the end of the year meeting with some more of our larger participating builders. But it's now, it's showtime because it was conclusively shown that as a result of all the program activity throughout the 15-year history, including all the training we've done. You cannot show a builder how to do all these neat things and then take it away from them when they decide to build a home for somebody not in the program, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we did actually achieve market transformation. That's the word I was looking for. But now we're going to see how faithful our builder partners are and see if we can't uh, continue to get them to participate. Well, we were able to leave a certification level in there so they could continue with certification, the consultant modeling, the site visits, the testing, and certification documentation without incentives as to see if we can get them to carry over. But on the certification levels 2, 3, and 4 that have pretty substantial financial incentives, they're going to have to ratchet up the building somehow to get more savings to meet those thresholds. So it's going to be a very interesting year. Uh, coming from where we were originally to where we were the last six, seven years going forward, it'll be interesting. And uh, to shoot us in the foot a little bit, they're giving natural gas away here, so that doesn't help either.
1: They're giving it? Uh, so the prices are really low on natural gas? Oh, yeah, about 58 cents a therm. Wow. Okay. Well, Joe, this has been very interesting. I'm going to have to listen again because there's a few things that kind of went over over my head there, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah, I get a little confused, and I I really appreciate you joining us and uh, look forward to talking more in the future. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? I mean, I guess the one question I really didn't get to talk to you about, you you kind of implied, as far as the cost, you know, um, what's the cost? Difference between a, a a home built that meets the program recommendations and one that just meets the uh, typical code requirements in uh, Wisconsin.
2: Well, it's a very popular question and one that I still don't have a, a reliable one answer for Joe. It all depends on what the builder's currently doing, right? Mm-hmm. A builder may be may be doing way above code, which most of them are, and they may only need to do one or two small items to get in the program on the entry level. But there is a cost to have the the consultant work with them, you know, do the REM rate modeling, the cons, you know consulting, testing all that. that ranges anywhere from three fifty to probably six hundred, seven hundred dollars depending on what the builder is looking for. Uh, and then any additional construction cost, um, that depends on what they're doing, which again is why I mentioned earlier that unless people are doing some sort of energy modeling up front and people can argue about the accuracy of modeling. We feel it's very reliable for what we're doing, and we have that field verified here. If you don't do energy modeling up front, it's my personal opinion that people may wind up building homes that are more expensive than they need to be, because when you're using Internet marketing as your, uh, as your method of uh, quantifying a product for your individual building, that's like shooting darts. Mm-hmm. What works on one building may not work on another, And oftentimes, people get after us, well, yeah, if we're building your program, Joe, it's always so expensive. I believe it's actually the opposite because some people will spend a boatload of money on a component that they believe is going to make a major difference from the reference point that the builder would use anyway. And they wind up doing things to make that home more expensive because they had no way of quantifying the actual benefit of that product on their unique building. So... It's sort of a a cat-and-mouse game, but uh, we love doing it. Our consultants are very good. Our program is good. Uh, WEC is very good as an implementer in Madison, and we're very fortunate that uh, the Public Service Commission and the administrator here has enough confidence in us that we can keep moving the entire state building community
1: forward. Well, Joe, thank you. And and Cliff, I kind of uh, didn't really get you a chance to jump in here in the second half. Is there anything you wanted to add or any questions? No, I'm good, Joe. All right. Well, Joe, Joe Nagin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. And before we go, any any final comments from you?
2: Um, no, I just uh, I think that, you know, just always for people that are listening, that they're going to have a home built, or even for builders, do your homework. You've got to remember that people involved in the energy business have a vested interest, and if you're looking at sorting things out, sometimes you got to look the other direction once in a while and get some independent information.
1: Very good, Joe. Well, thanks again for joining us. This week's guest, Joe Nagin out of uh, Wisconsin. And uh, the Home Building Technology Services is the name of his company. And uh, we can also maybe get some contact information for listeners if it's okay with you. We'll put it in the blog. Uh, The the Z-Man is writing a blog right now, and uh, we'll run that by you before we put it out next week, Joe.
2: Excellent. All right. Thanks for having me. Let's do this
1: again. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll definitely take you up on that. It was a great interview, very interesting. I want to thank uh, my co-host, the Z-Man Cliff Zlotnick at the Controls. John, you gotta have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday at noon. We've got, uh, we're going to be talking to Pete Consigli at the tpa conference they're doing in uh, nashville tennessee we're going back to the restoration side of things next week um and uh look forward to a great show with pete the restoration industry's global watchdog this is radio joe hughes saying thanks and come back and join us again next friday at noon for the next broadcast of iaq radio
0: for iaq radio i'm spike Reed saying thanks for listening